Tender bean. Nice boots. Amen. I hope I don't throw you off this morning. But at the very start of 2014, I want to speak to you about finishing. Not just finishing, but finishing well. Let me begin by asking you a question. What is it that motivates you to finish? What is it that lights your fire to keep you keeping on so that you'll finish? What is it that trips your trigger? What is it that floats your boat that makes you keep on keeping on so that you will finish? Little Billy, y'all know Little Billy, don't you? Little Billy was failing in math. No matter what his parents did, Billy would not apply himself, and he continued to get F's in math. So they enrolled him in a Catholic school, put him in the Catholic school, and after the very first day, Billy came home, went straight to his room, closed the door, and got to work on his math. After dinner, Billy went right back into his room, closed the door, hit the books, got into his math. And when his report card came, the very next time, he laid that report card on the table before his parents, and lo and behold, his parents were stunned, an A in math. The mother asked Billy, what in the world would cause such a drastic change in his math grade? Was it the teacher? Was it the books? Was it the school? What was it that caused this change? And Billy said, well, on the first day there in Catholic school, I looked up there on the wall, and there was a man nailed to a plus sign. <laughs> then I knew they were serious, so I got to work on my math. Amen. Motivation makes a difference. Motivation makes a difference, doesn't it? If you're motivated to accomplish something, you will likely accomplish it. Motivation makes a difference in how we apply ourselves. Motivation makes a difference in how we live. So let me ask you this question. Are you motivated? Are you motivated to make a difference this year. Whenever anybody asks me one of what is the, the human reason, other than your calling from God, what is the human reason why you accepted the call into ministry? And every time the Lord lays on my heart, I want to make a difference. So are you motivated? To make a difference. In the grand scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things. Does your life matter? From an eternal perspective. Which is how God looks at our lives. From an eternal perspective. Looking at it all. Does your life really matter? Do you have a mission in your life? 
Do you have something that drives you, something that motivates you? Is there something that you have a mission about? Jesus had a mission. He had a mission. He knew what needed to be done, and he knew what he had to do to accomplish that mission. You see, Jesus had priorities. That's probably our biggest problem as children of God. We have misplaced priorities. We prioritize everything else in our lives above God. As you look in the mirror, is that true of you? Don't answer. Does God come second, third? Is he further on down the list? Jesus knew his priorities. And on more than one occasion, the Bible tells us that he, Jesus, would teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and then three days later rise again. Jesus had direction. Jesus had a mission. Jesus had priorities. And nothing would cause him to get off track. Nothing would cause him to end up in the ditch. He had focus on his priorities. And sadly, his focus was the cross. And I want you to personalize this this morning. Because his focus was the, for the cross was for you. Say me. Jesus' focus on the cross was for you. He did it for you. He stayed motivated for you. He prioritized his life for you. He kept the right direction for you. He did it all for you. But you know, there was this disciple of his that didn't want you to be his focus. He had a disciple that didn't want you to be his direction. He didn't want you to be his priority. And his name was Peter. See, Peter thought this whole thing about the cross was just a little bit too much to accept. In fact, he told Jesus on more than one occasion, your compass bearing must be off. Yet the very thing that Peter tried to talk Jesus out of was beginning to happen for you. You see, Jesus had three priorities. Three priorities that enabled him to courageously complete his mission for you. The first of which is this. Jesus had a priority to persevere. 
He went to Jerusalem with a focus, and his focus was the cross for you. Listen to what happened in Mark chapter 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage the, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you. As soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it there. So when they went their way, they found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some who stood by said to them, What are you doing loosing that colt? And they spoke to him just as Jesus commanded. And so they let it go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on its back, and, sat, and he sat on it. And many people spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, what you may not immediately recognize is that Jesus came to fulfill what had been said in the past. 550 years before this day, there was a prophet named Zechariah who said that God's king would enter in the kingdom by riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And here, Jesus does this very thing. The people of Jerusalem knew what that meant when he rode on that donkey's back. And many of his followers were waiting for Jesus to make just such a move. They were expecting the king to come in and deliver them from Rome. They were expecting the coming king to smash their Roman enemies. They were expecting the king to restore Israel as a superpower. But Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus didn't come to make war. He came to make peace. He came to make peace between humanity and God. See, Jesus came to bring deliverance for you. That's what motivated his whole life was you. The people were shouting and screaming, Hosanna! They were excited. They were sincere. They were passionate. They went on and on and on. Hosanna in the highest. It was a shout of hope. It was a shout of rejoicing. It's like people were saying, Hooray for salvation! He's finally here. He's finally come. We're saved. And they were speaking the truth. They were going to be able to be saved, all right. But not one of them shouting had a clue how Jesus was going to save them. You see, Jesus came to establish kingdom 
living. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven was Jesus' goal. And he came to set up such a kingdom not because the, uh, it was what they were looking for. It wasn't the kind they were looking for. His kingdom was much different than what they were looking for. This kingdom was about being whole. It was about wholeness. It's a kingdom that ultimately heals our worst sickness. The sickness of our soul. This kingdom was about uh, healing breakdowns in relationships. This kingdom was about turning tragedy into joy and defeating the power and the grip of death. This kingdom was far better than anything they could have ever expected or hoped for. And so Jesus enters into Jerusalem determined to finish. Say finish. He was determined to finish what he started and with an eye on the cross, I think we see his second priority. Because Jesus also had a priority to purify his house. I read a story where Michael Black was uh, in Saudi Arabia, deployed by the military there in Operation Desert Storm, and Michael was helping another soldier to assemble a generator. And after they had assembled that generator, they had to add one quart of oil, just regular 10W30 oil, into the generator to get it started. So he sent the other soldier out to get that one quart of oil. And there in Saudi Arabia, the soldier returned, he was very upset. It was 100 degrees outside, and he had gone to the motor pool of the army. He had gone to a Saudi convenience store, and he went to two Saudi gas stations, but no oil. So he comes back, and he says, I guess I'm a failure. I have gone all over Saudi Arabia, and I can't find one quart of oil. Isn't that amazing that in Saudi Arabia, the 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 kingdom of oil, this soldier couldn't find not one quart. I can't help but wonder if Jesus didn't feel that same frustration. I wonder, here he is, he goes to the temple, he's expecting people all over the place to be worshiping his father, and they should have been everywhere. But there was none. Follow with me in Mark 11, verse 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. And so when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if it perhaps would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to that tree, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And so they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats 
of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests, they heard that, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when the evening had come, he went out of the city. Jesus goes into Jerusalem, the capital city, and has the audacity to inspect the heart of the nation. Here, this itinerant preacher, all he's got is the clothes on his back and the sandals on his feet, and he dares to come in and inspect the heart of the nation. Going into the temple, Jesus conducts his own inspection tour, and he finds what? He should have, found, should have been finding a whole lot of heartfelt worship for God who is so, so worthy. And so he looks at everything the Bible says, and what does he see? He sees a marketplace. He sees money changers. He sees people cheating one another. He sees corruption and injustice. He sees dirt and filth and squalor and animal dung. In the temple. He sees pride. And he sees hypocrites. He sees religious ceremonies being done with absolutely no meaning. But he didn't say a word. Not yet at least. And he left. And after this official inspection tour of the temple, the king illustrates what he found. Jesus concluded... That what looked good on the outside was empty on the inside. What looked good on the outside was actually barren on the inside. He looks at that fig tree outside of Bethany. And he looks at it from a distance. And from a distance, man, that fig tree looked so good. So good that he said, I might go grab me a bite to eat. And he looked at that good-looking uh, fig tree, and as he got closer, he could see that the fig tree was filled with luxurious leaves and beautiful, strong branches. It looked like a healthy tree. But it wasn't. It wasn't healthy. Why? Because the purpose of a fig tree is not to produce leaves and strong branches. The purpose of a fig tree is to produce figs, fruit. Israel had all the necessary things that they needed to produce spiritual fruit, but they didn't. They didn't produce fruit. There was a whole lot of religious activity going on. A whole lot of empty religion going on. But they weren't making a difference. In fact, they had made the temple irrelevant. That may be the biggest curse 
on the church in our day and time and for the next generation is that the church becomes irrelevant. And why is that? It's not because its members are not strong. It's not because we don't have beautiful leaves. Perhaps it's because we're not producing fruit. Let us not become irrelevant. Because the temple, the Israelites, they were not producing fruit. They weren't bearing fruit. They weren't even worshiping right. They weren't even showing the light of God to other people in the community. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are stumbling around in darkness. There's a lot of people outside these walls that don't know Jesus. They don't know the light. And that's exactly what they're doing. Stumbling around in the darkness. You know, Janet and I were married January the 6th, 2012. Tomorrow's our anniversary. She thought I forgot. (laughs) Didn't you? But when she went back to school, and all of her students came to class, I've wondered if she said, okay, students, you're now to call me Miss Barlow, not Miss Peter. I wonder if those kids looked at one another and said, you know, she says we should call her Miss Barlow, but she sure does look like Miss Peter to me. While that's kind of funny, I want to assure you of this. What Jesus found was no laughing matter. He was disgusted with the wickedness that he found in the temple. He was disgusted with the wickedness that was claiming to be righteousness. See, the multitudes, the multitudes that came to worship, they expected Jesus to muster up his forces and to launch an all-out attack against Rome. Instead, Jesus goes straight to the temple and he launches an attack on religion. They expected him to attack Rome as the great king, but instead he waged war against empty religion. Can you imagine how the Jewish leaders responded to that? Well, verse 18 kind of tells us, The scribes and chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. No fruit. Just leaves. Just branches. The nation had no fruit. It appeared to have life, but it didn't. From all over the earth, catch this, from all over the earth, people were coming to Jerusalem. They were coming to the temple to worship the Lord God Almighty, hoping to find an answer to the emptiness of their soul. Coming from all over the place, hoping to find an answer to the burden of their heart. And what did they find? Empty religious activities. 
found no help. They found no hope. Just empty religion. And this, I think, leads us to the third priority that enabled Jesus to courageously fulfill his mission. And that is this. Jesus had a priority to place his confidence in God. The Jewish leaders had no confidence in God. No confidence whatsoever. Instead, their confidence was in their own standards. Their confidence was in their own traditions. Their confidence was in their own religion. Let's read about it in verse 21. Verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up by the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, that fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, perhaps the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. He said, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you that whatever things you ask when you pray, believe in that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Say that with me. Forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus desires that you have a heart of dependence. Jesus speaks in a very simple message straight to his disciples. And they're not to miss it. Have faith. In God. Say that with me. Have faith in God. If you don't learn anything else that I said this morning, you learn that. Have faith in God. That's how you have life. That's how you have a life that's full, a life that's meaningful, a life that can make a difference. Have faith in God. See, so you must trust that the living God knows what he's doing. And you must be willing to believe what he says and be willing to obey what he commands. But something else I notice is that Jesus encourages us to let go of our pride. They could remove a great mountain by faith, he said. But they needed to know what that mountain was. Maybe it's something that we all struggle with to varying degrees. That mountain was a mountain of pride. Pride blocks the life of God from coming into your life. And that mountain of pride must be removed. So I want to encourage you this morning to let go and let God. Amen? Say it. He knows what he's doing. And what he tells you to do is right. And we must obey what he commands us to do. Several years ago, Mel Gibson played the role of William Wallace in the movie Braveheart. 
one of my favorite movies. But what I didn't know is that the producer is a guy named Randall Wallace, who is a professed Christian and also a distant relative of the film's hero. But in this violent but true story, Wallace is a Scottish revolutionary who is standing up for the rights and the freedom of common people. But I think this story also captures the essence of what Jesus did for me and you. As the story goes, after a few uh, victorious battles against a very unjust and cruel English lord or English king named Longshanks, William Wallace is captured. And while the townspeople gather in the square to witness his execution, a gut-wrenching torture is administered to Wallace. If he'll only pledge allegiance to the cruel king, the torture will stop. But he refuses, and the torture is repeated. And when they are convinced that Wallace will, will not pledge allegiance to the king, but is pledged to defy the king, they signal for the hooded executioner. And the executioner reaches for his sharpened axe with which he will sever Wallace's head from his body. And he's asked, do you have any last words? He has only one. What's the word? Freedom. Freedom. And with that, the axe falls and Wallace is beheaded. That scene in Braveheart captures the powerful picture of the courageous commitment Jesus had for you. That scene from Braveheart reminds me of Jesus outstretched on the cross and with his dying words said, It is finished! It was like Jesus was saying, you can now be free. You can be free from sin. You can be free from death. You can be free from hell. You can be free. Jesus courageously completed his mission. And because Jesus courageously completed his mission, so should we. At a floor covering business, there was a sign out on the window that said, Finishers Wanted. Of course, they were looking for people who could finish hardwood floors. But I say that in the kingdom of God, there's always a sign out that says, Finishers Wanted.
And that's something wonderful that I recognize about Bethel Baptist Church. I recognize the fact that we are resolved to stay the course. We are resolved to finish this race that the Lord has put us on. But since we're finishers, what do we got to do to complete our mission? I got five real quick things. Listen carefully. To complete our mission, here's what we got to do. First of all, we got to be a witness. If you know Jesus, then you need to tell somebody else how Jesus has impacted your life. If you know Jesus, then you need to be about the business of telling somebody else that Jesus is worth following. Be a witness. Number two, be a lighthouse. Be in prayer for other people. Care for the burdens of other people. Share the truth of Jesus Christ with other people. Be a lighthouse. Number three. Inspect your own heart. You want to complete your mission? You want to make a difference? Then you better begin with yourself. Inspect your own heart. Just like Jesus inspected the temple. And cleanse that temple of sin. In the same way that he cleansed the temple, he can cleanse us of that disgusting sin that we sometimes allow in our lives. Clean our own house. Inspect our own heart. Sometimes we have to admit, we're more concerned about what we want rather than what God wants. You need to examine your own heart. That's number four. And last, and this may seem overly, overly simplified, but how about staying away from evil? Amen? You see, there's a, a guy named Satan who has a goal for every one of y'all and me. His goal is to deceive you. His goal is to manipulate you. His goal is to detour you. His goal is to paralyze you and us. All so that we'll be unsuccessful in completing our mission. Then we'll be just a church going through the motions. So let's just get self out of the way. Let's get self out of the way. Let's let people experience Jesus through us. We're going to trust God for the results. Knowing that he's involved in this. And we're going to continue to faithfully deliver the message. That's what we got to do. Be a witness. Be a lighthouse. Clean your own house. Inspect your own heart. And by all means, stay away from evil. So you got the courage? Do you have the courage to complete your assigned mission? We all know that there's nothing attractive about giving up. We know at times that life is tough. Sometimes it can be real tough, amen? But I want to tell you this. God will give you the strength if you're willing to receive that strength and finish and finish well. So are you ready? 
You ready to say amen? Amen. amen. Stand with me and let's pray. Father God, without your help, 